This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a 4th of July week edition of the Turn on the Jets podcast. Haven't decided if we're going to run this on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. We're recording it Monday night. We are talking with Chris Saletti, who we had on earlier this year, where we talked all Sopranos. This episode, we're going to talk a mix of our Jets, of course, but also with a focus immediately on the Knicks, as we're both big Knicks fans, and we got to vent it out as all this news is coming out around NBA free agency. Little known fact that Chris and myself uh, and my buddy Kevin Smith, who works with me at Whistle, ran a website called Turn on the Knicks for a while, back when the Knicks made their last playoff run. Uh, this site did not last as long as Turn on the Jets has lasted, but we did do it. The Twitter account is still out there. I think the Facebook page is still out there. Website not out there anymore. Anyway, either way, we're going to talk Jets, Knicks, commonalities of struggles between the two franchises and fan bases and how the media covers both teams, along with vent about just our general reactions of the state of this franchise right now. As a reminder, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. Help us get up to 600 ratings. We're at like 520 now. How about a little push for the holiday? Check out all our merch at The Loyalists. Got the new Robbie Anderson shirt. Got your Quinn and Williams shirt. Not too late to get that summer gear. TurnOnTheJets.com. We'll have articles and podcasts every day fully related to the Jets. But look, it's the middle of the summer. It's the quietest time in the NFL season. If there's ever going to be a podcast, we're going to get some Knicks venting in. It's going to be this one. So, Chris, thank you for joining me to share on this vent. How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing good. I mean, it's funny when you mentioned uh, to everybody how, you know, we, we, we ran Turn On The Knicks for a little while. You know, yeah, you mentioned that we did this back when like the last time they were good. I know this is like the forgotten year in, in, in Nick's land and it didn't last. It ended up being a flash in the pan, but you know, that Carmelo J.R. Smith team that went to the second round of the playoffs, like we were covering that, that team. And, uh, you know, then like life got in the way and the, the site kind of, we, you know, we had to shutter the site and like the Knicks haven't been good ever since. So I think like we're actually to blame for the Knicks utility over the last, you know, seven, eight years. So, we're we're sorry about that, everybody. I'm happy. I'm happy to take that blame. There was a time where there was a rough crossover of like the Jets being good and the Knicks being like pretty good right after like that 2010 to 2012 <coughs> range. And since then, it has just been a complete abyss for both teams. And I'll say with myself, like I. I really love basketball. Like, I love the NBA. I actually, like, consume probably a comparable amount of NBA content to what I do as, as right. NFL content. I'm not as vocal with my Knicks fandom uh, on Twitter for, you know, for a variety of reasons. But they have pushed me to a spot that the Jets haven't been able to push me to, which has really just become apathy at time over the past few years. That, you know, with the Jets, as bad and as boring as they've been at time over the past few years, I still find a way to muster up the energy to watch those 4-11 and games against New England on New Year's Day uh, when they lose by 40 points and cover it and whatever with the Knicks. Uh, they have just, with the number of times that the hopes have been brought up and nothing has happened and the Lynn Sanity into nothing, into the Derrick Rose and Joakim <laughs> Noah, into the, it just, it, I, I don't even know how to like wrap yeah. my head around it anymore. And I follow 
you know, I follow the discourse around the Knicks from different fan sites and fans and the normal writers. And there are a lot of crossovers between some of the stuff I see with the Jets. And I, you know, I was venting a little bit about it this morning in that, look, the Knicks, there is a successful pass for the Knicks that did not involve them getting Durant and Kyrie. I, I think how they kind of pivot off what their initial plan is is going to be key to whether this is actually something they could build around. But don't act like this is a genius franchise that has had this master long-term plan that they're flawlessly executing whenever what their initial plan was didn't work out. Like I don't know what anybody has seen from this franchise over the past decade, two decades really, outside of a few blips, that gives you confidence that every little move and decision that they make is some brilliant piece of strategy and not just something that's ramping up to a false belief that they're going to get Giannis in 2021. Doesn't mean I haven't liked some of the things they've done, but I I guess it, it's just a fan thing. Like at a certain point, you just have to be like, yeah, like there actually is a plan and this is, you know, this is it. And it, they never really were in on Kyrie or Durant. I, I, I don't know. Like what, what were your initial stages of reaction to the news as it came in yesterday? Yeah, so, well, my initial reaction was, uh, you know, was frustration. Um, I, I, like a lot of Nick fans, you know, you know, I, I, I let the idea of Kevin Durant coming to the Knicks and, and bringing, I guess, Kyrie with him, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 for whatever reason, let it become a, a real possibility in my head when, uh, as you mentioned, history has shown us that this – never really works out for the Knicks this this idea I mean they they've been they've been chasing the big name and big name free agent and planning a year year and a half two years ahead for the big name free agents uh for a long time I mean dating back to Michael Jordan and to to Chris Webber and to Kobe Bryant and to LeBron James and LeBron James another time twice and now Kevin Durant and it never worked out so I don't know what it was about this time that made me think that just it was going to work out um so you know my first reaction was was just frustration um you know but i think the 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 point the point you bring up about uh the knicks you know not really operating under any sort of 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 master plan here is is accurate because it is clear they essentially stated it out in the open that their plan was to sign max free agents this year they they put out a statement to the fans after the Porzingis trade when they when they unloaded Porzingis to the Mavs with all the bad contracts and they got Dennis Smith and the picks back. But the, the, the point of that trade was to open up room and they even put out that letter to the fans that said, we now have the cap space to potentially sign two max free agents. And that's coming from the, P, the obviously the PR staff, but Perry, Mills, Dolan aren't putting that out. If that's if if they're not signaling to the fans, just wait for this summer. We are gu- we are getting Durant, we are getting Kyrie, or whoever else. Uh, that was the plan. And then, of course, you know, I know a lot of people have been bringing up the, the quote that James Dolan uh, said. I think it was March or April when he was on with Michael Kay, saying essentially the same thing. We hear from players and agents that they people want to come here and we're going to have a very successful free agency you know dolan I, you know I, I i put a little i just put a little less stock into what he says on a on a radio on a live radio program than i do like the actual knicks uh you know 
media department and <laughs> PR department putting out a statement from the team. It's a lot more carefully considered than it is Dolan spouting off on the radio. Um, but still, the perception around the league, around the fans, uh, was that the Knicks were going hard at free agency this summer, and they struck out. Uh, and and so there's there's no two ways about it. They struck out. They did not get any of the big name free agents. And this was a summer where there was a lot of big name free agents. Now, you know, I will say this: the 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 plan was to sign Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, or Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard, or you know, maybe Kemba Walker. Uh, Clay Thompson was never really a a, a, a realistic option, but. They did say it was, they didn't say, but it was reported pretty consistently that they would not max out any of the second tier free agents, that they were not interested in doing that. So, yes, it was a deep, uh, it was a a very loaded free agency class, but the Tobias Harris's of the world, Jimmy Butler, uh, you know, those types of players, the Knicks were not going to be in on uh, for max contracts. And so, uh, you know, look, was this... was the was the master plan um, to to sign uh, Julius Randle and Bobby Portis and Todd Gibson and Wayne Ellington and Alfred Payton and uh, Reggie Bullock? I think I have all six. They've you know the Knicks they've filled out a roster today. Um, was that the master plan all along? No. Um, is it a it, you know? And, and then I guess the next part of this discussion we can get into is is did they save face? well enough uh were they prudent were they were they smart uh are these good signings are they are they are they bad signings should they taken a different approach i mean we we can get into that but you know look when you build up uh through through media leaks and through your own public statements and you make that trade to open up the space everybody knows you're going after you know you're going big game hunting and the Knicks came up uh, w- woefully short and, you know, and, uh, to, to, to add, uh, you know, to, to, to add, uh, insult to injury, Kyrie and KD go to the Nets, which, you know, I think for a lot of Knicks fans, um, you know, is, it's, it's just a little bit of a, a jab. I mean, the Knicks-Nets rivalry is not a huge rivalry. Uh, you know, it probably will ramp up a little bit more now, but, um, and, and then I think the bigger, the bigger thing that, that happened was it still seemed like, James Dolan uh, came front and center right again when it came down to it. The right, right, you know, last night at nine o'clock, three hours after free agency is open, four hours after we hear that that Duran is going to the Nets and Kyrie is, is obviously going there too. The Knicks put out, you know, the, the essentially leaked that they weren't going to offer Duran a max contract, and they just cannot seem to. Uh, this franchise, it always, it always, when push comes to shove, seems to come down to something having to do with James Dolan. Even when he seems for so long that he's hired people to do the job and he's going to lay off and everything, uh, even just at the biggest moment in the biggest moment in the, you know really in the franchise uh, since I don't know uh, you know in in a long time, the moment when. They have a chance to really make an impact league wide and bring in legitimate star players. It doesn't work out. And the the thing we can really point to as to why it doesn't work out is James Dolan. And that's just a really frustrating position to be in as a fan of this team. And, and particularly for me as one who, you know, I'm, 
ain't going to sit here and defend James Dolan by any stretch, but, you know, I've always felt that the Dolan uh, narrative, um, you know, it's just sometimes it's a bit of a crutch sometimes with fans. Obviously, he is one of the worst owners in sports, and it is he makes it increasingly tough for the team to 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 operate successfully. Um, but there's a lot of reasons the Knicks have been bad over the years, and yes, he's the he's the constant. But um, it just seemed like for a few years there that, that we were actually just getting to a position where Dolan was hiring people and letting them make the decisions and letting them run things. And I think he largely is, but it's just so telling that in the, in the, the important moment right here, when, you know, when Durant and Kyrie are off to the rival nets, we still have to, to, to deal with the fact that James Dolan, whether, whether he was, they were actually not going to offer him the max or not. The Knicks are clearly leaking this. He's getting involved because he is so worried about the perception of the team. And, you know, and it's probably probably pretty clear that guys like Durant and Irving and the top echelon NBA players, one of the reasons they don't come to the Knicks, aside from being poor on the court for so many years, is because James Dolan keeps proving himself to be uh, a buffoon and, and a guy that just people do not want to be associated with. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. With them ultimately going to the Nets, it's interesting to watch sort of the back-and-forth narrative about the two franchises and the two fan bases because we are kind of on the other side of it from a football perspective. Now, it's not as extreme in my perspective, but basically you will see Nick fans sort of tee up when they're angry about this stuff that, listen, nobody cares about the Nets. No one is going to – like people obviously go to the games, but there are no Net fans. There were no Net fans last year. Even when the Nets are winning – the offseason in this way or have a team that's built the right way there is no homegrown interest in that franchise particularly now that they're in Brooklyn and you know they share the clips of the Knicks fans going crazy in game 81 last year when they were you know 17 and whatever the hell their record was and the Nets you know the Nets are lowest in attendance and you know we live around here there's not there's not a lot of net fans now if you're a net fan I don't know why you need to care about that. I think you just care about your team being good and arguing that, you know, my team is terrible, but they're more relevant is a weak argument to <laughs> to stand on. And maybe the Knicks <laughs> yeah. would be in better shape if everyone stopped going to their games because they're making a ton of money regardless. But again, it's more complicated than that because the people who are going to the games aren't necessarily uh, the regular fans who would be protesting and, and not going. <laughs> right. Now, precisely. Yeah. you know, if you look at it from a Jets-Giants perspective, you could say it's kind of a similar thing. The Giants have a bigger fan base. They're a more well-known, quote-unquote, well-respected franchise. They've won more championships. They've been more consistently competitive. I would say they're one of the worst-run teams in the NFL right now, worse run than the Jets. But a common Giants fan counter would be that, again, the, Jet, the Giants are still more relevant. Uh, they've won Super Bowls more recently. They're a more respected franchise, yada, yada, yada. And as a Jets fan, that none of that stuff you know, matters or is relevant going into 2019 or 2020. Uh, you know, for the Nets, again, it's, look, I don't think that, I don't know if I buy into this that, look, this next generation of kids who grow up in New York or the tri-state area are going to migrate to the Nets. I don't know if it necessarily works like that. I just think the Knicks are, much like the Lakers and Cowboys, one of these franchises that, just will have a certain level of following and prestige, whether it's deserved or not. And for the Knicks, like it really isn't deserved. They have not really won anything of consequence since 
the seventies. Uh, I have only made the NBA finals <laughs> twice since then. Uh, so, you know, I, I could see it kind of from both sides. I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't think like Kyrie and Durant care about all that stuff. And for all the people and commenters who are like, well, they're going to come here and recognize that everyone in New York hates them. And everyone's going to love RJ Barrett. And it's like, I don't think those two dudes who are unique guys in their own right. And that's a whole different thing care about that like they're going to get the support that they need elsewhere they're going to make plenty of money they're going to help their business interests off the court they're going to get to play in new york they're going to get to live in new york instead of having to live in white plains or wherever most knicks you know players <laughs> live and it's like kind of like right. who cares and it, i think there's this there's always ongoing assumption that oh a player wants to come to new york city because it will be great for his brand that stuff is overstated now. You could have a great brand wherever you are. You could get your own message out wherever you want. Like Giannis has a great brand, and he plays in Milwaukee. And uh, Kawhi has a brand in a good spot, and he played in Toronto. It's just, I think you tweeted this to me before, like the Knicks are basically like a small market franchise at this point, and they're going to have to build the right way and can't just be awful forever and assume a great franchise player is going to you know, walk to them. And it does like... It almost, after all this, makes me somehow appreciate the Johnsons a little more because they're not good owners. Uh, you know, Chris Johnson seems like a nice enough guy. I think he's in, you know probably a little oversaid. Woody Johnson, you know, I cringe whenever he talks publicly, and he has plenty of other flaws, but, like, they have been able to get talent here. They're not shy about spending money. The Jets have state-of-the-art practice facilities. They signed Le'Veon Bell this offseason. They signed C.J. Mosley. Like, they are able to get big-name talent. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of – the contrast between the two franchises is kind of interesting to me. I mean, when when you see all this back and forth about, well, like, attendance and relevance and dominating the tablets, right, like, right. what do you even, like, think of that? Yeah, I mean, I look, I think – I think you, you stated it well when you, you mentioned the, the Knicks in the, it, you know, the same light as even though these have been successful franchises like the Cowboys and, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the Pittsburgh Steelers and, uh, you know, other, just other name brand teams. I mean, look, they, it's, it's, it's understandable to see if, if you don't, if you don't think too hard about it, which is probably the problem with the Knicks and their front office and, and, and who runs them. It, it's not hard to see why you think, well, they're the New York Knicks. Like, there, there is something to that. I don't know what you know. It, it, there's something to it because it's New York. I mean, there is there's an there is an allure there, and I think that the 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 problem is the allure is not powerful enough to stand on its own to attract a player. I think it could put the Knicks over the top if they were to do the legwork of getting closer to showing that they are a rel- that they are a competent team, a competent franchise run by competent people. If they are then battling for the top free agent and the decision is between the Knicks or the Nets, if the Knicks and the Nets were in the exact same position last year uh, and the Knicks had shown that they, that they were, had taken steps forward and had drafted well and developed well and had uh, good coaching and, and a, and a good, uh, reputation, you know, around in league circles for the way they, they the way they they handle uh, injuries and training and players and 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 things like that. Then I think the allure of you can win with the New York Knicks it means something, but it doesn't mean anything if if you 
if that's all you can sell, and that's all the Knicks have ever tried to sell, they have never tried or succeeded in doing what doing the grunt work that you need to do to to attract players. I mean, you know, if you think about it, the only top free agent to, to ever you know to really go to truly bad teams because with LeBron James, he did it twice. He went back to Cleveland when they had basically nothing. I mean, I think you can make the case that they had. Kyrie Irving, but I mean, they had just, you know, they, 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 they did not win a thing with young Kyrie Irving until, until LeBron got there. And then, and then when LeBron went to the, went to the Lakers, I mean, the Lakers were, uh, uh, you know, I mean, they're the counterpoint to, to what I just said about the, the allure, uh, of the Knicks not being enough. I mean, the Lakers, I guess the, the allure of being the Lakers and being in LA and what that can do for you, uh, is there because, Talk about a team that was that was run terribly over the last three four years. The, the Lakers were a, a, a you know a, a total mess, and LeBron just said, "I'm going to go be a Laker." So uh, the Knicks think that 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 they can do that, and it is clear that they cannot do that anymore. So yes, they need to operate. Uh, they, they really need to, to to pretend that they are the Memphis Grizzlies or the Indiana Pacers or the Detroit Pistons or the Orlando Magic. They need to. They need to to build from the ground up, which they are in the process of doing. Um, but they but they cannot sit sit there and say we're the Knicks. We're going to attract uh, big time free agents. Uh, the next time some sort of you know maybe b- big name coach is available or executive is available, uh, they can't just assume that they're going to get a meeting with that with that potential with that potential person and be able to hire that potential person. Uh, solely based on being who they are they need to they need to to operate like a small market team and quite honestly you know i you wonder if the fans of of the knicks need to uh you know sort of recalibrate their expectations to the expectations of of small and mid-market teams in the nba right now i mean it's not impossible for a a a mid-market team like indiana or Portland, uh, you know, to, to, to be good and, and build a, you know, sustain good competitive team. Uh, you know, it's pretty rare that you, that in the NBA these days, you, you build solely just through the draft and by making shrewd signings and shrewd, shrewd deals, managing the cap well, and you ascend to a title. Now the Raptors just did that. They want a title, without a lottery pick on their team, uh, without making a huge free agent acquisition, without clearing space and, and, and forming a super team in one offseason. Uh, but it is pretty rare. And the NBA is defined by its dynasties, and those dynasties are usually led by one of, if not the top player in the game at that moment, and two or, uh, and one or two other guys who are probably top 15 or 20, 20 players in the league at that moment. That's the way the NBA has always been. It's the way it always will be. So, you know, until the Knicks can show that they can attract those guys or draft and develop them or get lucky in the right year on a, in a draft lottery or a draft, uh, you know, maybe the fan, maybe us Knicks fans really need to just, you know, uh, you know, and you, you, you sort of hate to resign yourself to this, but, you know, maybe we just need to be content with, like, can we become the Indiana Pacers? Can we just, like, draft well? put together a good team, find some good coaching, finish fourth, fifth every year. Maybe one year we get hot and make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and, and you know, surprise, surprise somebody and give somebody a run. I mean, you know, I think a big, uh, almost a problem with the NBA these days is that 
you know, it's it, everybody is just defined by by the championships and the rings. And this is why these super teams are created, because I think these players were just so sick of hearing, well, you never could win a ring. And that was it. I mean, we saw it here in New York with Patrick Ewing. Never won a ring. You know, people will, will, will you know, there's a ceiling on, on how, uh, you know, on how high people will go in ranking Patrick Ewing because he never won a title. Uh, you know, there's just, there's, it's just so hard in the NBA to win a title unless you are, you have the best player or, or have basically formed a super team. Um, you know, and, and it, it kind of, it kind of sucks to be in a, in a situation as a fan where it's the only thing you can root for. And it's, and it's so unattainable and, and particularly in the NBA when, when, you know, there's truly only usually a, a small handful of teams that can win the title every year. It basically gives everybody else nothing to play for. And there's going to be, you know, every year there's going to be 12 or so teams that make the playoffs and don't go on huge runs. And, and, and you know, what, what do you, how do you judge those seasons? And I think as fans, we need to, you know, it, it, it wouldn't hurt us to, to start, you know, trying to find a place in our, in our, uh, our fandom to appreciate those types of teams and those types of seasons. And, and as Knicks fans, you know, you gotta, you gotta crawl before you walk and the Knicks, you know, they have not, they have not, uh, you know, started crawling uh, over these past, you know, six, seven years at all. Uh, and obviously over the last 20 years, winning one playoff series, um, they're just, they're just so far behind that, you know, uh, getting to that, that, to that place where they can win a championship is so, is so far off. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned the, the you know the sort of similarities between the the Jets and the the, the Jets and the Knicks, and you know I, I I think it's similar in that sense in that you know the the Jets, um, you know they they always sort of seem uh, at least over the last twenty years or so they they you know they seem to kind of go all in when when the when it looks like there's a chance for them to to be a good team and, and to win. You know I mean the most recent example is when they doubled down on Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker, that team, I and mean, they they didn't they did not make an accurate assessment of themselves, and they they doubled down, thinking, well, we were a game from the playoffs, and you know, I mean, we bring back this team, we make one move here and there, I mean, we're going to be right in it, we'll challenge the Patriots, and and that set them back, you know, four or five years. Um, you know, it's just it, both teams, uh, I think, are in decent spots too. Maybe we get into the specifics uh, with both of them, but you know, I think both teams now are in decent spots to uh you know to, to be to start to start building something uh that can be consistent uh and you know be, be presented as a consistent winner i mean the jets obviously with with the young quarterback uh you know it's it's basically all about his development and uh you know with the knicks i mean you, you know they don't have one guy right now uh and maybe they'll never get that one guy but there are there are avenues for them to build a competitive team at least and and, and to start just operating like a normal team and that put will put them in the position to strike when the iron's hot rather than, you know, basically, uh, you know, you know, playing a game of roulette every three, four years on, on top free agents. It just has not worked. It doesn't work. And it's just not something that they should, they should, they should replicate at all. This is the overtime podcast network. The Knicks just have to get themselves to being uh, a relevant team in the back half of the year a team who is not every single year tanking and then who knows what happens in the draft who knows what happens in free agency and has some type of infrastructure in place that other teams other i'm sorry other players feel good about other teams feel good about if they need trade partners and 
need to look to just make a stack smart decisions on top of each other and play meaningful, relevant basketball so their young players can learn and develop from it. Hope that RJ Barrett can be someone who maybe can be the second or third best player on a team that could compete for a championship one day. Uh, I don't know if he's ever going to be that top, top guy who's one of the you know best players in the league, but if he looks good and develops into being a solid player, Mitchell Robinson keeps developing. You know, I, I don't know what to really expect of Kevin Knox, but if he could become a useful role player even. Uh, and you saw the Nets kind of go this route before they laid the groundwork for Kyrie and Durant with how they found some of their talent and some of the guys that rounded out their roster last year. And they took a smart risk on D'Angelo Russell, and that worked really well for them for a year. And they found guys like Dinwiddle and Levert. Um, that rounded out that roster and made them competitive in a, in a weak conference that, that's going to be up and down. And, you know, there's not any reason to think. I mean, obviously Philadelphia, at least for the next two years, probably has the pieces along with the Bucks to be right at the top of the conference. But you know, when you get to four through nine and ten, if, you, if you're if you smart, there, there's no reason that theoretically the Knicks maybe couldn't be a seven or eight seed by next year if they're smart and continue to build right. And I think with the Jets, I, you know, I was saying this today that, you know, their process to ending up with Sam Darnold and Le'Veon Bell and firing Mike McCagden and hiring a whole new front office and having Jamal Adams has not been this, you know, perfect linear plan. And they've kind of bounced all over the place and had some things break right and had some other things not break right. But, to their credit, they did eventually get it right in firing McCagden and hiring a new front office. Hopefully that works out. You never know. They yep. got a credible swing at franchise quarterback on their roster. We don't know if he's definitely going to be that guy yet, but early signs are, are good and fans are right to be optimistic about it. Uh, and Le'Veon Bell, at least on paper, is the most exciting offensive player they've had in a long, long time. And at a minimum... You know, God forbid the team is interesting to watch on offense and is scoring points on a regular basis. And, you know, I, I do say that, you know, the one piece of the offseason I'm still not happy about and still prevents me from saying they're going to be 10 and 6 is I'm still not fully sold on Adam Gase as their head coach. Doesn't mean I don't think they're going to improve three or four games next year. I don't know if they're ever going to consistently win with him. Um, but for now, it's take a step in the right direction, have an honest assessment of your roster after this year in the first full off season for your new front office and then keep going from there. But they're going to have to be aggressive because of course you're dealing with your quarterback on his rookie contract, but there are the pieces of having reasonable hope for the franchise are in place for the Knicks. I don't think post what happened with Durant and Kyrie, they've done anything too unconsciousable. I mean, what do you think? So basically the feedback has basically been this. And you see this kind of fight between like Knicks fans and sort of the national people who are covering them. Basically, it is why aren't the Knicks doing more of what we just saw, like the Clippers do, like taking on a contract right. like Harkless, but you're getting a first round pick, taking on a contract like Iguodala, and you're getting picks back for that, rather than just signing a bunch of guys to one and ones or two year deals who are really seventh, eighth, and ninth guys. Probably maybe Julius Randle has a higher ceiling than that, obviously, with his age and his talent level, but. You know, all the other guys that you name that they added, why not go about it another way? So what have you thought outside of Randall? I think both of us like that move and not. I think most reasonable people like that move. What have you thought about their approach to kind of rounding out the roster? Yeah, I, the, the you know, it's, it's interesting. The, the whole um, strategy of 
taking on other teams, bad contracts, and 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 also getting an asset uh, along with it, a draft draft asset. Um, you know, it, it seems to be, have become like this really this just sort of like automatic like response now. Now, I'm not saying it's not a a smart way of of building of 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 trying to run your team. I mean, it's a way. It's it is a prudent way to use. It can be a prudent way to use your cap space. Um, but I, it's just like it's this weird thing that like it is a strategy that a lot of teams have used to like acquire assets. But it's like it's not the only way to build and to to rebuild an NBA team. And it seems like now this is like the default response for a lot of people is like this is what the Knicks should be doing. And it's like yeah, I mean they could be doing it, but like they're also the the concept of them of what the of of signing guys to one and ones and and. Uh, you know, or two-year deals, and 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 maintain that still maintains flexibility too. So, like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know where I fall on that. I mean, I could I could definitely see. And the other thing is too, we don't know if the Knicks were or were not involved in any of these talks. I mean, I don't know if they if they try were in on trying to get Iguodala or Mo Harkless and and the and 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 take their contracts on. I mean, we, we don't know that they were or were not involved in those in those discussions. Um, you know, look, the Knicks need a guy. Uh, you know, look, they're not going to compete most likely for anything re- relevant this year. But regardless, the way the team is currently sh- constructed, they can use a guy who can just get buckets. Like, it's going to take pressure off of Kevin Knox. It's going to take pressure off, off of R.J. Barrett. Dennis Smith, you know, likes to shoot. <laughs> not a great shooter. Likes to shoot. Likes to score as well. It's going to take pressure off those guys. They, they have an outlet late in the shot clock to just dump, you know, to dump the ball to Randall. Let, let him get his way, make his way to the basket, get fouled, etc., uh, very good signing. And again, you know, he showed last year that he can really s- s- offensively, at least, uh, you know, he-, he can put up legitimate numbers and he's 24. And aside from that, you know, the freak injury in his first ever or second ever, uh, NBA game, he's been, uh, durable ever since that seemed to be a freak injury. He's not an injury concern. Uh, really shrewd, shrewd move. I think the rest of the, the rest of the moves, I mean, look, uh, the Knicks, they needed. They also needed perimeter shooting. They get that with Ellington. Uh, they get that with Reggie Bullock. Um, Bobby Portis. I'm not sure where Bobby Portis really. I. That's the one that kind of like. I just. I'm not sure about. Uh, but you know, look, they're all one year deals or one one and ones. You, you bring these guys in. If they play well, you can flip them at the deadline for, for an asset, even if it's the second round pick or a, or a late first or something. I mean, this is sort of the similar idea of, of taking on teams, you know, other teams' contracts to, you know, and, and getting a pick. I mean, you you could flip, uh, you know, um, you could flip Bobby Portis at the at the deadline for something if he's having a very good year, and if he's not having a good year you don't pick up the option after one year and that, you know, that, that essentially goes for, for everybody they signed uh, aside from Randall, who's got, you know, two, two full years guaranteed. My thing, you know, look, my thing with the Knicks is, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the, the Jets sort of, you know, not having this perfect linear plan and sort of ending up with, you know, in a situation that, that is, is, you know, possibly setting themselves up for success but you mentioned Adam Gase, and that's a question mark. And for the Knicks, this is officially on David Fisdale now. And the era of David Fisdale, you know, and the Fizz kids and him saying, you know, I love my kids and my guys and Rook this and Rook that. Like, 
I like Dave Fizdale, but like it's over, man. Like you now have a roster with NBA rotation players. You have young players that is on you to develop. It's got to start now. Like, and he has to show, and the Knicks as a franchise have to show that they are that, that they know how to build an on court success in terms of scheme and fit and managing minutes and and running play. I mean, you know, everybody says, okay, the Knicks needed shooting. They got Bullock, they got Ellington, Bobby Portis can hit from three, Randall's an improved three-point shooter. Oh, they've got they've got uh they've got shooting now. Well, let's see if David Fisdale can draw a place to get those guys open shots. And let's see if if Dennis Smith and Alfred Payton can get those guys the ball. And <laughs> so and and that remains to be seen and that is gonna fall on David Fisdale. And you know, and so the Knicks I I, I think you know, the jury is still out to, for me on, on, on David Fizzle as a coach and Scott Perry as a GM and Steve Mills as a team president. I mean, the jury is still out. The Knicks showed last year that, you know, they, they basically didn't care about fit, scheme, anything. It was Kevin Knox is, a young, is the youngest player and one of the youngest players in the league. Uh, we're just going to throw him out there, give him 30 minutes. He can take 20 shots a night. We don't care. It does not matter. Uh, Emmanuel Moutier. I mean, I think it was like David Fizz. This is very nice of David Fizz, and I understand why players around the league love him. Uh, he basically let Emmanuel Moutier uh, also sort of do what he wanted. He, he, it was almost like it was David Fizdale's project of the year to like let Emmanuel Moutier show the rest of the NBA that he could stick in the league. And I don't even know if, if, if Moutier took advantage of that opportunity. But, you know, last year the Knicks were like, we are just going to take on youth. We're going to take on raw talent. That's it. We're going to, we have no, it doesn't, we're not trying to do anything specific on the court. We're not trying to implement a scheme. Anything, everything they talked about was about culture, uh, the, you know, getting the right type of guys in here and like youth and potential. And now it seems in this offseason, after they struck out on the big free agents, plan B now seems to be we are just signing guys to one-year deals. Who can we get around the league that wants to play here for a year? We'll overpay for them. Like we're giving Bobby Portis 15 million a year. Uh, we just want one guys on one-year deals. Okay. That's great. But like you, part of the Knicks turning into a successful franchise is showing not just that they, uh, you know, can, you know, can, can build, can build a decent team. I mean, part of building a decent team is showing that you have the acumen to say, this player fits what we need. This guy has this un, un, sort of untapped potential that we can unlock. This player fits. This player, this is, this is the role we want this player to play. And I kind of look at the roster the Knicks have put together, you know, <laughs> this season, and I say, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, um, I, you know, they're going to have, they're gonna have a, an issue doling out some minutes. Um, you know, interestingly enough, and I don't want to get too into the weeds about next season, but you know, uh, I, it, it looks like to me like Damian Dotson and Alonzo Trier are might struggle to get on the court, um, which, you know, look, maybe that's good for them. Maybe they need they need, you know, some competition and everything and that'll bring out the best thing, guys. But, you know, the Knicks need to show with, with Fisdale and, and Scott Perry need to show that they that they actually have a clue on how to build a, a team that is successful on the court and not just. You know, the, the Knicks have been operating in the last years as like as like a place to stockpile a certain type of asset, and that's not a way to actually build an on-court successful team. It, it's a way it's a way to 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 maintain flexibility, and that's important in, in the modern NBA. But I mean, you've got to show that you, you that you can make 
true to on-court signings and 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 craft a team, uh, you know, scheme and strategy that actually um, works in the modern NBA. And so the same questions, uh, you know, sort of uh, plague the Jets too in terms of Adam Gase. I mean, we'll see. I mean, he, you know, he's supposed to be an offensive guru who's. Uh, offenses have uh, not uh, not uh, been statistically all that special, and a lot of people can say, "Oh, Ryan Tannehill," but you know, I can think of a lot of really successful NFL coaches who have done a lot more with, uh, you know, some pretty some pretty r- rough quarterbacking. It's not impossible for a really smart offensive NFL coach to, to to you know to to craft a good offense or at least a competitive offense and or or an innovative offense. Um, with limitations at the quarterback position. It's what really good offensive coaches do. So I think the jury is out on both coaches. And th- this season is going to be you know, pretty telling, I think, for both. And I think both have to really show uh, progress and, and show proof that, that, they, you know, that, that they know what they're doing sort of schematically in their <laughs> respective sports to, to give the fans uh, and the media some confidence that, that these guys are the right guys for the job. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> Final question before we wrap, and it's related more towards the attitudes around media coverage to the two teams, which I think sometimes is talked about in a similar way, particularly with certain publications. Now, obviously, when we when I started turning the Jets, and even when we started turning the Knicks, we were you know we were younger, and I think I you know our sort of general thought was like the media treats the Jets really really unfairly, and we're going to treat them really really fairly now. Right. I do think at the time there was a situation where generally, and this is not from a local media standpoint, it was the Jets were covered like they were a joke and a laughing stock, despite being pretty good from 1997 to 2010, like over 500 sure. every year regularly in the playoffs, like yep. three AFC championship games, and that didn't line up. Now, since then, they've still been covered in the same way, but they've lined up to that. They've been one of the worst teams in the NFL the past eight years. Um, so my energy directed my anger is more directed towards the team for being bad rather than the media for saying that they're bad and sometimes yes they are still covered unfairly and you'll see that a lot I still think from some national publications who will misrepresent just how bad their situation is in certain circumstances but it's hard to get too worked up about it because they're 14 and 34 the past three years so (laughs) it's not like they're getting the benefit of this doubt uh, in any way, and it's kind of the same deal with the Knicks. And I think doing things like banning the daily news from your press conference, like it just adds to this overall environment that is going to push certain players away. And players certainly have no love for the media, I think, in most circumstances. But you're not helping the overall situation. And I know that you know the Knicks have the ongoing war with plenty of media outlets around here. But you know, for fans, it's not the media's fault the Knicks have been so bad the past few years. It does not mean that the media has been wrong in how they covered them from time to time, and we'll go over the top with the criticism. But, you know, for the Jets, until they start winning, and if they go 5-11 and or 6-10 and this year, it's Sam Darnold isn't as good as we all expect him to be, criticism is going to be valid of them. And for the Knicks, if they go 28-52 and this year, and none of the young players are developing... They're going to catch a ton of criticism, especially if the Nets are a three or four seed and into the second round of the playoffs. I mean, what do you think of the overall ecosystem, both locally and nationally, in terms of like what's fair and what's not fair, however that's categorized these days? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. Like, 
because I think a lot of the the, the animosity toward the Knicks uh, in the media comes from James Dolan, and uh, you know because he clearly has a has a, a problem with the media and acts on it. I mean, they ban people. They they you know like you said they ban the Daily News from this, and, and the, the thing with the Daily News has been going back forever. Uh, you know, for as much as, you know, he can really get degrading in the, his trolling of the Knicks, like Frank Isola, like for years, like when he was with the Daily News, like wouldn't get called on in press conferences, like even just stuff that like that just this is just so petty. And, and you know, like, you know, uh, regardless of regardless of whatever sport it is, like the, the media members, the beat guys of, of covering the team and, and all the national guys, like they, they they all talk to each other. A lot of them are friends and stuff. So. You know, does it surprise me that you know that the national NBA media, uh, you know, seems to seems to really you know sort of have it out for the Knicks at, at some times? Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, you know, and then uh, you know, but to to be fair, as you said, I mean, neither team, especially over the last ten or so years, eight years for the Jets, like have done anything to 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 merit, uh, you know, I guess positive coverage i mean of, of, of course like you said the issue is like what's fair and what's not and you know i think for the knicks it's 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 totally fair uh for the media i mean like you know it seems to be that the the the, the, the prevailing uh sense from the media today after the free agency strikeout seems to be that nobody wants to play for the knicks because they are a dysfunctional mess and until they become not a dysfunctional mess that nobody will ever want to play with them. And I think that is fair, even if that ha- doesn't have to do with anything that's on the court. Uh, you know, I think that that's a completely fair assessment for the media uh, to make, because I think it's pretty accurate in terms of what, you know, what happened here uh, in this, in this, you know, this free agency period. So, um, but yeah, look at, you know, also at the end of the day, I think the Knicks, the Jets, uh, you know, I, I'm just thinking of New York teams, but the Knicks and the Jets and, and, and the Mets, I think, are the teams that also, you know, it, there's an interesting uh, relationship here. They're the teams that seem to really care what is on the back pages and what is in the headlines and what the media is saying about them, like, a little bit too much. Um, and, you know, when you, you know, you just kind of have to operate like an, like a normal team, like, you know, just everybody gets a, gets all, you know, crazy about the big, bad New York media. And it's like, you know, if you just like, uh, you don't even have to like be so cheery to the media, just, just like pretend to answer the questions that are asked, operate normally, just do your, do your job the best you can be, you know, try and be honest, uh, you know, about the job you're doing, uh, and I don't think the media is going to like come out with the hatchets for you. I mean, of course, you know, the, 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 the opinion pages of the tabloids are always going to have like crazy takes. You're always going to get on in national media. You're going to get your crazy takes on by from Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless in the world. You just can't worry about that stuff. But the Knicks, the Jets, I think the Mets, they seem to really kind of get wrapped up in that stuff. And it just, you know, and I'm not one of these guys is a big, like, Oh, there's distractions in, in sports. It's like, I think, you know, a lot of that stuff gets overblown, but it just doesn't. There's just such unwell. It's just such unneeded uh, stress for for a, a sports franchise to take on. Is like is worrying about what the media is saying, worrying about the back pages and stuff. I I think you know, just do your job. Let let the media do what they're going to say. What they're going to say. You know, cover cover the team how they're going to cover the team, and 
just go about your business. I, I think that's the, you know, that's really the, the you know, and, and it could be, can be easier said than done because yeah, when these guys, these, these, these executives and players and coaches are under pressure to win and they're not winning and they got to face the, you know, the media who wants, you know, who wants their stories and stuff, you know, things can get a little, you know, uh, you know, of course, you know, tensions can flare and stuff, but on a, on a organizational level, I mean, the stuff that Dolan consistently does with the media with not inviting certain outlets and, and, you know, the Jets, you know, seemingly, I mean, not, not quite the same thing and not, not inviting certain media outlets, but just always seeming to have this concern about, about, you know, how they're being viewed in the outside world. It's just, you know, it's just something they don't have to concern themselves with. And, you know, both, both franchises would be much better off just, you know, you know, getting north of media in New York, but you just, you just have to do your best to just, to just not worry about it too much. And, you know, what's one thing that's interesting, I think is related, um, uh, which has just been such an incredible thing to me over this past day is, you know, switching to another sport briefly, but the Rangers in the NHL, Dolan's other high, uh, you know, big, big ticket team, you know, big franchise in the NHL, most valuable franchise in the NHL, or maybe second most valuable, uh, building full every night, you know, not a great history, you know, four cups in 72 years. They haven't won a cup in 25 years. It is already is at this point, but it's just so interesting to me that they're owned by the same person, uh, you know, and the, the, the differences between the Knicks and the Rangers couldn't be starker. And, and it's not, and you're not, I'm not even talking about anything that has to do with on field, on court or on ice play, uh, just the way they're perceived in their respective leagues. So, you know, the Rangers today just signed the number one free agent in the NHL available this season. Artemi Panarin, great center, 27 years old, unrestricted free agent, signed him to a huge, rich contract. He, te- he left a little money on the table from other teams to go to the Rangers. And one of the reports from national media today said Panarin left money on the table the New York Rangers are always an attractive draw. And I just saw that and I was, I had just gotten done reading like Howard Beck's article in Bleacher Report about KD and and Kyrie going to the Nets and, and his whole, you know, he had a pretty sizable portion of it about the Knicks and their failure and their pursuit. And it was all about how the Knicks are not an attractive draw. And it's just such an interesting thing to me that, you can have two teams run by the same person, the same people in the same building, and one is viewed as a completely toxic place to be, where the other is viewed maybe as the premier place for players to be in the league, and they are well respected. In it. and and that's and the thing too about the media, the Rangers don't have any squabbles with the media. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I, and I, I think it's 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 clear that James Dolan, you know, the Knicks are much, are, you know, the NBA is much bigger, much, much more popular than, than the NHL. Uh, the Knicks are way more valuable than the Rangers are. So I think he feels he needs to be more involved or just wants to be more involved because it's more high profile. It, of course, the difference has something to do with that. But it is just such an interesting uh, thing that, you know, like, it's amazing to me that James Dolan can't look at the Rangers and be like, oh, I have one, like, one entity in this, in this, <laughs> over here that is like viewed in the public as like a premier respectable organization. And my other one is the complete opposite. And I can't figure out how to like what to do with the one that's toxic. It's like, dude, just like look down the hall, just like do the same things you're doing there. 
just like it's like it's literally in front of you. It's just an amazing thing. But you know, the Rangers are a team that doesn't really care much about the, about what the media is saying about them. And of course, so, you know, the media is not as you know as as I, I guess you know foaming at the mouth to drop you know NHL takes as as there is in the NBA with the Knicks. But you know, I think both teams and and you know, really all teams should just like you know play play the game with the media. And, and, you know, just focus on, on what you can do to make yourself a, a successful team and, and let, let the rest, you know, let the rest, uh, let the chips fall where they may. Absolutely. And we, you know, I've always, uh, absolutely. Yeah. We've always heard this particularly on the, on the jet side of it, this sort of hyper concern with the media. And we certainly, you know, see that with how the Knicks act. And it just feels like, like you said, the franchises that, expend any time, energy, or resources to worrying about that too much. It's just time taking away from other things that you'd love to see these franchises further invest in. I, I always hate whenever you see, and we, I think I'm a big believer, look, there's a lot of different ways to go about evaluate building players and evaluate building rosters, but it always kind of felt like, and hopefully this won't be the case for the Jets anymore, that the Jets and the Knicks, they're always sort of behind the curve with, analytics and like player nutrition and like sports science and things like that that are more progressive ways to think about how you're building your roster and taking on some of these other sort of creative ways to go about doing it and um you just there's too many little things you could do on the margins now with those things that smart teams do that you have to partake in those things if you're going to seriously compete and you know for the jets they're in the same division as New England, and it's still going to be the same infrastructure at least for a few years, and no team takes advantage of these little things on the margins better than New England. And for the Knicks, you're surrounded by the Sixers and the Celtics and now the Nets. And all. And for the mistakes that some of those teams have made throughout the past few years, they are still consistently competitive and have went through this process and have compiled a lot of assets that's going to make all three of them basically guaranteed playoff teams next year. Uh, and that's who you're surrounded by uh, as your immediate competition. So you have to have more time and energy into that than less yep. worrying about fighting with Frank Isola and, you know, the Daily News and, you know, other things like that. And it's just, look, we're, we're going to wrap now because we've went a solid hour, which is good, good content for wherever you're driving <laughs> to on 4th of July. Right. Yeah. But, absolutely. You know, I do think to put a bow on the Jets, like I think net net overall, this has been a very positive offseason and capped by yes. making the transition in the front office. I don't know if we're going to see an immediate impact this year uh, in terms of them being a serious contender. They're probably still the seventh to 10th best team in the AFC. And maybe that breaks right and they sneak into the playoffs. But more realistically, they probably go eight and eight. We'll see. Um, but there's reason for hope with the Knicks. I think, Let's hope R.J. Barrett is good. Let's hope some of these other players that are rounding out the roster, you know, develop the right way or overachieve, and it just it starts to being a slow process towards yeah, just, some type just, of relevance. Just progress. I think at this point, Knicks fans just want to see progress. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, progress could even be – it's crazy, but, you know, when you win 17 games, progress could be 30 wins. The team wins 30 games. Knox takes a step. Dennis Smith Jr. takes a step. Barrett looks like a player. Then all of a sudden, things start feeling a lot better. And you know, and that's all. That's all. We, I think that's all fans really want is just some progress. Is is some some legitimate progress that feels like it could be the start of something that's actually 
you know, replicable and that will last long term. And uh, we'll see. We'll see if they we'll see if they get there. But, you know, we got like a lot of summer to enjoy before we start, you know, watching, you know, Alfred Payton throw up like, you know, clunking threes (laughs) from the from the corner. So, like, let's let's try to enjoy the weather before we before we have to get there. It's a good it's a good way to look at it. It's a good way to look at it. All right. Chris, thank you for joining us. Everyone join enjoy your fourth of July. A little sun, a little booze, some fireworks, some barbecue. Get some days away from Twitter.com and we'll come back uh with the final sprint towards training camp. Thank you everybody for listening and we'll be back next week.